Hi there, friends, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Amelie Andreas, and today we'll be talking with Segovia Garcia about the amazing proteins and organelles that allow your cells to exchange resources and move around. Understanding these little guys is more important than you might expect, and learning more about them could even help us fight back against diseases like metastatic cancer. Crazy, right? Okay, I'll hand this one over to you, Segovia. Take it away. So my name is Segovia Garcia. Uh, I majored in biochemistry and molecular biology, but I did my thesis in the bio department with Derek Applewhite. So it was more of a cell biology thesis, if that makes sense. So my thesis is called Cytoskeletal Regulation by the Gap Junction Forming Proteins and Extins. Wow, that is like short and concise, but also contains at least four words that I have never heard before. Can we maybe like go through and just do some definitions and then we can kind of start to see this picture going together? For sure. So let's like, let's start at the beginning. What is, what is this cytoskeletal and how is it regulated? So a cytoskeleton is um, part, it's like inside the cell and it kind of maintains the structure of a cell and it also can help the cell move. So it's made up of a bunch of different kinds of filaments. And they all make up, if you think about it, just like a skeleton. So it was formed to something. Um, and then regulating that just means maybe changing the abundance of certain proteins that make up the cytoskeleton or changing the localization in the cell, um, which would then change the shape of the cell or like the movement of the cell or something like that. Cool. So the cytoskeletal regulation is just um, like how the the framework of the cell can like re- change in response to different maybe environments or needs that the cell has. Yeah, def- different environments or needs. So there's many different kinds of cells. Mm. Um, and like a neuron has a much different cytoskeleton than say an epithelial cell that makes up your skin or something. Because a neuron needs to be like this skinny thing with a lot of different things sticking out so it can connect with other cells. Um, and so the cytoskeleton of that is going to look much different than an epithelial cell that kind of needs to form a really tight layer with other cells around it. Mm. Were you focusing on like a particular type of cell or was it just broadly cytoskeletal regulation? So my thesis worked only in epithelial cells or epithelial-like cells, um, which means it's it's those kinds of cells that form a really tight layer together. Mm. So think about like your skin or maybe the lining of your intestine. You don't want anything to get through there in an unregulated way. And so all of these cells have really, really tight junctions. Mm. So with that like function of being really tight and not wanting stuff to get through, is that related to this uh, gap junction forming part of your thesis? A little bit. And we're actually confused about it. So Ooh. the junctions between cells, um, typically we think of like adherence junctions or tight junctions as keeping cells together. Um, but gap junctions are more known for allowing things to pass from one cell to another. So like different ions for communication or sharing of nutrients, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what gap junctions are typically thought of for. Um, but previously, um, another lab, not ours, had done some work into what's called epithelial cell neolamination. This is more cell biology is just a bunch of words, soup of acronyms and awful things. But neolamination is when a cell has like moved and migrated somewhere and then it needs to reform that tight junction to make it that like a new cell-cell junction for like a fresh layer. Um, and so in neolamination, they found that proteins that form gap junctions were necessary 
to like reform these bonds, which was super interesting because we didn't think gap junctions were really used for that at all. Cool. So is that where these proteins, this kind of last part of your, your thesis title, these annexins come in? Yeah, yeah. The annexins are the proteins that form the gap junctions. And so there are proteins found in the membrane of the cell. And usually on one end of the cell, there's a few annexins on the other cell. There's a bunch more of annexins and they form this complex that allows like a channel to form between two cell membranes. Um, so ions and things can pass through. So how did you find yourself, you know, doing this in-depth research into like how cells can send things to each other? Um, when did you first like find yourself getting interested in like biology, biochemistry? That's like a long, long story. I feel like I always was a kid that just loved being in nature. I like I climbed trees and I ran outside and went camping all of the time. My grandpa used to take me bug hunting at night. So we'd go outside with the flashlight and see what bugs we could find. I've always been really fascinated by the diversity of life. Um, and I was also really interested in medicine. So I got to read thinking I would be a doctor or something. And I kind of lost that idea, but I still had a love for biology and a love for how life worked in general. Um, and then as I took more classes at Reed, I got interested in biology at the more molecular level, I guess. Mm. So there's, there's so many levels of biology. You can study like animal behavior. You can study like how different species interact or how different individuals interact all the way through to like, how does this one molecule interacting with this one molecule affect an entire cell or an entire organism? And so I like, I like the chemical end. So I started doing more biochemistry. Um, and I had a lot of biochemical research experience before my senior year, but I, I believe in getting like a diverse education, especially in undergrad. I just wanted to know what was out there and what was available to me and what kinds of research were being done. So instead of continuing with the biochemistry, I decided to do my thesis in cell biology with Derek. It's also because I like working with Derek. Um, <laughs> that's a big part of it. My thesis started off as something completely different. And something that I was kind of interested in, but was more just a continuation of what a patient was doing. And so I was, I was like, meh about it. And then Derek gave a talk at UC Santa Barbara. And Denise Montel, who's a professor there, who's pretty well known in the cell biology community, thought his work was super cool, super amazing, and wanted to do a collaboration um, using the techniques that Derek has used, but with a question that they had been wondering about, which is how these annexins were affecting um, cells being able to form new junctions between each other. Um, and so he was super excited because he's Montel is incredible. And he came back and he knew I wasn't super into my thesis. And he's like, do you want to just change it and do this collaboration? And this was in like November. And I was like, sure, why not, Derek? And so I kind of pivoted completely to this other thing, um, which turned out to be super interesting. It's really interesting to see like how people, how people's theses kind of like change over time and how you can really like have this like finding a topic via process in of itself. Definitely. So yeah. And I can second Derek Applewhite being very cool from taking his intro biology course. Did you end up taking his um, upper level cell bio course? Did that like influence your choice for like major thesis? Definitely. I actually didn't take intro with Derek. He was on sabbatical my freshman year, but I did take cell biology with him. And so my initial thesis topic was just an extension of the work I had done in his cell bio class. Mm. Um, but I think from cell bio, I learned that I just really enjoy taking like beautiful pictures and seeing the biology I'm doing. A big part of cell biology is like fluorescently labeling certain proteins and certain parts of the cell 
So just seeing all those tiny details and manipulating them yourself was super cool and interesting to me. Yeah, there's really definitely like a lot of beauty down at this microscopic level. What did like an average day working on a um, cell biology slash molecular biology thesis look like? Like, were you mostly in the lab or doing research? Yeah, I really wanted to just do as much lab work as I could possibly do. And so at least at the beginning, I was in the lab maybe 10 hours a week, if not more. Um, And it was mostly doing a technique called RNAi. Um, So you can take these small chunks of double-stranded RNA Mm -hmm. and give them to Drosophila cells of lots of kinds. And then once they're in the cell, the cell will think that's bad. It's kind of like a viral defense. Mm. And then it will find the single-stranded mRNA of that gene and destroy it. And so this way you can kind of get rid of a protein or deplete a protein within a cell to see what happens to the cell when it's not there. So you can kind of get an idea of its function. So most of my day was either making that double-stranded RNA, giving it to my cells and culturing the cells. And so I'd have to do that for seven days. And then at the end of the culturing and RNAi treatment period, it would be either transfecting so I could live image fluorescent proteins Mm -hmm. or fixing and staining my cells so I could see them fluorescently once they were like dead and fixed, if that makes sense. Wow. So you deleted the like mRNA that would code for this these inexins mm-hmm. to see what the cell would do without them. And then that helps you figure out what the cell does when they're there. Exactly, yeah. So it gives you an idea of what their function would be. And I have one other question. I was wondering, so you are like making these cultures of cells and you maybe, you know, you have to baby them a little bit for a week before they're ready. Mm-hmm. Do you get a little bit of an emotional attachment to your cell cultures ever? I mean, they're they're alive in like a certain way. Or do you feel like, you know, cells are cells. This is for the research. I definitely, I, I don't feel bad when I have to kill them at the end. But mm. there are times where my cells like to be, my cells were really particular because they're epithelial. <laughs> so they like to be cultured densely. But if you start mm. them too densely, then they crawl on top of each other and form clumps. And that doesn't oh look good. You can't <laughs> see anything in the microscope. So there was a very, there was a good window where they wouldn't die and make this weird film and then wouldn't also like clump up and be too dense. And so I felt really bad mm. when I would culture them too sparsely and then like, you could tell they got sick and they made this weird film Aww. and they just looked bad. And I was like, poor guys, <laughs> like you're just suffering here, that kind of thing. It's kind of hilarious. I love that like even at this microscopic level of being a biologist, you know, there's still that, that empathy there. Definitely. I think if you're taking care of something every day, at least once a day, yeah, you're somewhat invested in its well-being. A little bit of heart goes into it with them. Exactly. Yeah. Every time. Did you encounter any unexpected challenges with your thesis other than, you know, this swap halfway through and also um, maybe some epithelial cells not being particularly happy with their living conditions? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think I had to troubleshoot like every step of the process at some point or another, mm. whether it's like your primers aren't annealing. And so you're trying a bunch of different temperatures. Or I was doing something called a scratch wound assay, mm-hmm. where I put my cells on what we call an extracellular matrix. Um, so it's just kind of like this matrix of protein so the cells can crawl and migrate because my mm-hmm. cells were migratory. Um, and in doing the scratch wound assay, I let the cells form like a single layer and then I'll scratch a tiny line in them. And then theoretically they should like migrate together mm-hmm. after that. 
but I would either scratch too deeply and hurt the extracellular matrix because I couldn't migrate through the wound or um, I think my cells actually got too old. And so instead of like migrating together as a sheet, like they should have like good epithelial cells, they would migrate independently, like one after another, which is not what I wanted to look at at all. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of, the thing about biology is living organisms and living cells, I guess, are just going to do what they wanted to do and expecting them to be <laughs> anything, having any expectations is kind of a, a silly idea in some ways because there's so much you can't predict. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you've got old cells, I guess they're getting, you know, a little elderly, maybe some cell dementia, not, not exactly. as liver as they used to be. Exactly. And with the cell culture lines, you've already um, gotten rid of some of like the cell checkpoint such that they can just keep replicating without any issue. Mm. And so with that comes the accumulation of a lot of weird and different mutations that you can't really control for, especially once they get old. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Definitely with biology, there's like so many more factors you have to think about controlling than like um, with certain like chemistry or, or, or physics situations. Cause yeah, biology has a mind of its own. <laughs> Sometimes <Exactly>. literally. <laughs> <laughs> what ended up being like the outcome of your project? Did you find something new or um, was your like hypothesis confirmed or, or did you find something that challenged what you were expecting to discover? A little bit. So the, I did my thesis off of some research done in the Montal lab previously and what they found was in knockouts in a different type of cell within Drosophila itself um, mm-hmm. had depleted, knockouts of annexins had depleted microtubule abundance. Mm. And so microtubules are a cytoskeletal element. They help kind of make up the structure. They're also responsible for transport within the cell. Um, and so I, I initially just wanted to see if the same thing was true for my cell line, because you never know what different cell types of things might look. And I found that uh, microtubule abundance did decrease when I knocked out the annexins. But what was interesting is I also found that this other cytoskeletal element called actin was either massively depleted Mm -hmm. um, or was like normal, depending on the kind of knockout I did. And so gap junctions, I guess, previously were not even associated with the cytoskeleton at all. And so to find one regulatory function for the cytoskeleton was weird enough, but to find two was just super weird and interesting. And they didn't exactly correlate, like microtubule abundance didn't exactly, like greater microtubule abundance did not result in like less actin abundance or vice versa. So it seems like they have kind of independent relationships with these annexins, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Okay. So you knocked out annexins and then you were expecting to maybe see microtubules decrease Mm -hmm. and that expectation was fulfilled. But then you also saw this decrease in actin, which you weren't expecting. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like what the difference between microtubules and actin might be? Or do they like perform basically the same function in this context? What's that look like? Yeah. So they're both cytoskeletal elements. So they're both made up of different kinds of filaments, Mm -hmm. um, but the filaments are made up of different proteins. Actin is seen more as responsible for, I guess, the shape of the cell and also for migration. So mm-hmm. actin will often form these like membrane protrusions in different kind of spindly forms so the cell can crawl forward, um, do something like that. Where microtubules are more, they also kind of help with migration and structure, but they're also more for transport within a cell. 
So they're kind of like highways where proteins can go from one end to the other in a direct way and take a lot of cargo with them. So does that mean that microtubules Mm -hmm. and actin might be involved in gap junctions more than we thought? Definitely. Or it might mean that gap junctions are involved in regulating the cytoskeleton more than we thought. So it's kind of, you don't really know the cause and effect as much. And what's, Mm -hmm. what's difficult is that microtubules and actin are just used for almost all different kinds of functions in the cell from mitosis, like you were talking about before. Mm -hmm. When you see the mitotic spindle, like an anaphase, those are all microtubules. Um, So it's used in that. It's used in migration. It's used in intracellular transport, um, intracellular transport, sorry. And so just separating the function is really difficult because they're used in so many different things. Yeah. And that also means I would I would guess that your research, even though it's in this kind of small system, would have maybe implications across like a lot of different um, different fields, like not fields, but kind of parts of the cell and functions of the cell. Definitely. So um, one implication that I think is super cool is I guess I didn't fully explain the process of my thesis, but I am looking at mm-hmm. neoelimination. So after cells migrate, how they form new cell cell junctions. Mm-hmm. And so one kind of biologically relevant example of this is cancer metastasis. Wow, yeah. Where cancer cells have to leave their original tumor, their original place, and migrate throughout the cell, but eventually to form a new tumor, a new metastatic tumor, Mm -hmm. um, it has to then again form cell-cell contacts. And so working out this process is super important for that. And that event is hard to study because you never know when a cancer cell is going to decide like, oh, I'm going to go migrate now. And you also can't really predict where it might end up forming the new cell-cell junctions. And so looking at it in this smaller system where I can kind of control more things is much easier. Wow, that's pretty awesome. So basically your research in like a small, potentially indirect way is a little bit contributing to finding a cure for cancer. Maybe, or at least metastatic cancer, you would think. That's pretty cool. That's the fun part about basic science research when you're just investigating the role of like one specific protein in in an undirected ways. It can have so many implications. Um, And it it might be maybe 10, 20 years until I see those implications Mm. involved in some sort of treatment for human health. But the potential is massive. Yeah. And it's awesome as well to be doing research that like matters in that way when you're just, you know, in your senior year of your undergraduate degree. It's pretty rad. Super cool. That's why I love read. I feel like I never would have been able to do something of this magnitude and be as involved and as in control of the project if I wasn't here. Definitely. Are you guys thinking of uh, publishing or have you already published? Um, So because it's in collaboration with another lab and it's their research, Mm -hmm. it's kind of up to them Mm. to determine when they have enough data to publish. Um, And my thesis was based off of a paper they had actually just published. So I feel like Mm. it might be a while until we gather enough new information after their last publication to make another one. But yeah, the goal is to hopefully it will be a part of some story eventually that other people can use. So... Now that you've kind of wrapped this up a little bit, you know, you've turned in thesis, you've burned your own draft, perhaps. <laughs> uh, what are your plans looking like for this summer and beyond? And does your thesis inform any of that? A little bit. This summer, I really, am I allowed to cuss on the podcast? I think so. If not, I'll bleep you out later. <laughs> okay. My family likes to call it assing, um, <laughs> where you just sit on your ass. Um, I think read. 
is really difficult and tiring. And the last year was especially tiring, mm-hmm. just like looking at a screen all of the time. So I really want to just take some time to sit and read um, and spend some time with my family because I couldn't see them this last year. Wow. And I'm going on a few little mini vacations and road trips and things like that. And then I got into grad school Yay. at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, even. Um, and so I'll be moving to Philly in August to do research in developmental regenerative and stem cell biology. Wow. That's so a little inspired by the cell biology part. I'm also hoping to continue doing biochemical research within that kind of umbrella of biology, but we'll see how it works out. That's awesome. What ended up informing your decision to kind of go in a more like developmental biology stem cells path? I think, well, I'm not as interested in the developmental part, but um, Mm. I think I mentioned that I wanted to be a doctor and I kind of, my family has Mm. a a tradition of healing, but in a way that isn't um, American doctor friendly, I guess. We hate we hate taking pills. We hate drugs. I really, mm-hmm. I don't like this form of research that we're seeing where we identify a protein that's implicated in the disease. And then we just synthesize a thousand compounds that might interfere with it, throw them all at a mouse, Jeez. see what sticks and has yeah. maybe minimal side effects, you know, and then approve that for everyone to use. I feel like it's, it's caught. I mean, we've seen like the opioid epidemic, Mm -hmm. we've seen, I think a lot of bad things come out of this process of drug development. And so I want to come at solutions to human medicine from a different perspective. And so stem cell biology kind of gives me the opportunity to me use what's already in your biology to help you out and what we already know about biology to help um, problems with human health. Wow. That's such a cool perspective to have on things. Um, Yeah. And I think it really rings true, especially with what you were saying before about how this, you know, single protein and exon that you were researching can have effects on all these different parts of the cell and like these really essential organelles that, you know, even if it is something that could have like health implications or like we said before, like be a tiny piece of um, helping stop metastatic cancer, it, you know, has all these other ramifications that you really need to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're already seeing that. So um, there's a drug called Taxol that's used for, to prevent metastatic cancer mm-hmm. and it interferes with microtubules mm-hmm. which is what I was talking about because it stops them from migrating as much but with cancer medications a lot of times what you hope for is that the medication is just more attracted to the cancer than your own cells mm. so otherwise you're doing a lot of damage to the rest of your body yeah which that's a big hope <laughs> Um, do you have to kind of finish up the interview, any advice to maybe people who are starting out in biochemistry or just readies who are going to be starting their thesis next semester? I think my advice is to just do something that you think you'll have fun with. The thesis is such a large and daunting process that if you're not truly interested or doing something tangentially related to what you're interested in, even it's going to be just a long drawn out process. Um, And I would also recommend just finding a professor that you really enjoy working with. That's kind of what I favored this year. Mm. I wasn't initially even interested in the project that I ended up with, right? But I knew that um, Derek would be a good and supportive mentor and someone that I enjoyed being in a class with already. And I think that really helped. Exactly. That is some great advice for all these people who are just starting out on, on this journey. And thank you so much for being on the podcast and telling us about your research and your process. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Thank you, Segovia. Good luck on all your grad school adventures. It was a blast to learn about your thesis, and I'm so glad that someone else also gets weirdly attached to their biological cultures. They're cute, what can I say? And thank you as well to all of our listeners who took the time to tune into this episode. I hope you'll join us again to hear from more alumni and students about what it means to burn your draft. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janaga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member and class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast start by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.